0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm your host, John Abrams. I lead the uh, Venzi Technologies Organization, headquartered in Vancouver, Canada. And today, we have Chad Kazmarek, who is our Senior Director of Operations. You know, Chad, so much about product data. And uh, product data, uh, for those of you that listen to this podcast, solely for the supply chain aspects the product data piece is what we're going to burrow into today. And Chad, I always love talking with you, Chad, because you've lived and breathed product data and the attributes, things that describe products that require a supply chain to get from here to there. And what I want to talk to you about today, what I get excited to talk to you about is some of the intricacies of product data and how it's evolved over time. And you're you're younger than me, but you've had enough experience in this space that you've had uh, really lived experience with clients and organizations where you are providing services around product data in multiple waves of uh, product data evolution. I've done academic stuff, so I've been in universities and taught on supply chain at uh, some some well-established. Uh, Uh, business schools. Um, But the visual we're going to work from is this visual that imagines there's three waves of supply chain evolution or innovation in supply chain, because it's really innovative stuff. The first wave in the 1940s, the second wave in the 1970s, and the third wave that has emerged sort of around 2016 or so, uh, where people started coining the term digital aisle or the endless aisle. We're going to talk about this more modern digital age, but we're, we're going to talk about with Chad uh, the first two waves. So Chad, welcome back. And uh, just curious, are you as excited as I am about this stuff or are we just two geeks in a pod?
1: Um, a little bit of both because, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, you know, the digital journey, it's, it's kind of been mine, Right. Never thought I'd be a guy that knew attributes, but um, it's it's just a piece of information about a product, but it has changed over time.
0: Yeah, and you're a very social being. I think you get your energy from people. I, when I watch you interact, whether it's with a client or a coworker, your energy comes from interacting with people. So it's interesting, and maybe that's what you allude to in being surprised that you're so focused on on the digital aspects of a product because that is not very people-centric. And uh, so kind of interesting. So in these waves, and Chad, you know this stuff, but I'll I'll just go through uh, very quickly and then we'll burrow in uh, really to this middle wave because the first wave, which was architected and engineered around the Berlin Airlift. And the problem was that, Berlin had been isolated. So this is at the end of World War II. So there were a bunch of people there, and they couldn't get food. They couldn't get supplies. They couldn't do things. They couldn't leave. And the uh, Allied forces came up with this idea that, well, we'll just fly product into Berlin, and we'll feed the masses. And it wasn't very efficient, and they knew that they had to be very efficient if they were going to properly pack the planes and get the weights right and everything. So this first wave of real innovation in supply chain and product attributes came from the Berlin Airlift of 1948. And how do you standardize the weight of a product, the dimensions of a product? How do you know what the product is? And can we standardize that so that we can very efficiently move product into Berlin via air and save the population of Berlin? All of that manifested in what is called uh, now EDI, the Electronic Data Interchange. And EDI has been the foundation for some really big companies that have done great work to modernize supply chain for decades, in fact. There are still EDI services you can buy and, and, you know, more power to you. It really helps in, in knowing that an order uh, is of a particular size or volume or weight or dimension or that it's on back order or any number of, of very logistics-centered supply chain stuff. So EDI, you and I, Chad, I think we both had exposure to EDI. I did in healthcare. Uh, in the warehouses. Um, uh, But just curious, uh, your exposure to EDI?
1: Yeah, actually, mine was also in healthcare. It was when um, I worked on the data governance team at Abbott Laboratories. And really, simple analysis exercise, but we would try to get master data, right, from all the different business units. So if you know Abbott, They support a lot of different medical devices and I would sometimes have to talk to different business units and get their EDI files to try to make sense back to the master data what's what and talk about a mess, right? Because EDI was for procurement and really kind of for shipping. So it would have elements of some uniqueness, possibly a part number that could be whatever, doesn't have, you know, started to get some barcodes or GTINs or UPCs, and then it would have a product name. It's it's not human readable, right? So, you know, that was kind of, because it was there to inform for pure shipment at an early stage, right? And because of that, there are different versions and and data governance was not even a thought, right? I, I mean, you're standing up these huge systems, and you know you're getting new versions, and now having to communicate. So it was the first part, but it had small amounts of attributes. And people would question, say, "Oh, different versions support more attributes." 100%. I'm not going to validate or for people that use it, it does work for its purpose, but it doesn't get it to the different evolutions of the digital age,
0: right? Yeah, and and almost by definition. In 1948, you could not imagine the shopping experience of 2021. To imagine that you could order from an iPhone and get a product delivered that day, that's unimaginable. That's sort of unimaginable even 20 years ago. So, so the Berlin Airlift, which is the, the motivation or the, uh, the catalyst for creating EDI, created a really valuable thing, a disruption in supply chain that allowed standardization of product attributes for good purpose, saved the city, fed the city, and has been part of how automotive and and a lot of industries have become more efficient in their back office, supply chain, logistics operations. But to be able to scale that into the digital age is very difficult and, and maybe there's this transitionary stage in the 1970s that helped us move from the, the, the pure weights and measures and, and order indicators of EDI into a, a slightly more modern era but still unimagined uh, in the 1970s the idea of ordering or visualizing product, or spinning it on your phone, (laughs) uh, or interrogating something in very, very specific ways. Hard to imagine in the 1970s when the second wave of innovation, I will call it, because it was innovative, the idea that we should have many more attributes to describe a product. And, And it really came together with the idea of can we affix a code, a uh, machine-readable code to a product in order to do things more efficiently with that product. So this idea all came together in grocery. Can we scan things at the checkout counter instead of keying it in manually, the price and the quantity, uh, and doing that calculation with people? Can we actually scan it and let the machine figure out what that is and decrement the inventory and do things to alert the back office that we should order more of a particular product. So that, that idea, affix a barcode to a product, was pretty radical, very radical, I would say, in the late 60s and early 70s. But academics were thinking about how to do that and the academic benefit of that And there was some industry consortia that came together to promote the idea of, let's give every product in every shape and form a unique identifier. And then we could create a code that's machine readable, affix it to the package, and then you can scan it at checkout. Holy cow, that is really innovative stuff. And it happened in 1974 at Marsh's Grocery Store in Troy, Ohio. So they... First pack of Wrigley's gum was scanned at a now long gone grocery store, but it took hold in grocery and has penetrated many other industries. So there's there's barcodes on many things. Interestingly enough, not not a lot of hospital products have barcodes, but that's a different debate. So this second wave putting a barcode on a product and also can we have some other identifiers that are broader and more expansive than EDI, and I think you and I both pretty much grew up in the standards era, in this uh, barcode era, and and the organization that emerged from the barcode era, all of those consortium, academic, and and professional that came together, ultimately created something called GS1, Global Standards One. GS1 is the organization that maintains a very thorough list of product attributes, and there's, there's thousands of them, maybe three or 4,000 attributes. But the interesting thing to me is that to get an attribute defined by GS1, it's a very academic process, and I would say it's consensus-based. So if somebody wants to add a new product attribute, you you have to build consensus across the whole of the GS1 organization in order to get that attribute adopted and deployed. And that's a long process. And I'm curious, do you see this second wave of, of uh, standards uh, around GS1? Is that a consensus-based approach? Is it an academic approach? How do you because, Chad, you lived your most of your career so far in that space.
1: So, you know, it's kind of funny. One of the things you said is about that barcode and scanning. So that second wave or, or GDSN, that's traceability. That's mm. the supply chain. I want to know how something's being shipped as a consumer brand from my warehouse to the DCs of my retailers and distributors. So the elements and the attributes, uh, foundationally, are dimensions weights some identifiers and it is consensus right so these people have to be able to talk well well with that consensus you, you know it was built for supply chain that's not the digital age uh-huh. you talked about the iphone and and looking at it and ordering it now it has elements of that of course that support it but it's really adopted differently by the retailers and fundamentally was used a lot for item setup. A lot of your major players, especially in the United States for to take hold, Walmart, Lowe's, those people were using GDSN, GS1 standards for item setup, supply chain. I wanna know how things are shipped. And then those same retailers started to uh, ask for those consumer brands, love the data, it's great. I need you to top it off. So I need you to now go in this other system, right? So that other system, to top it off, was getting to the digital age. It was more robust information specific to that, right? So uh, with syndication, and you get into that third, syndication is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get <laughs> at the channel. And that's kind of funny, right? Because why is that? Because each channel, each sales channel, all those retailers have systems that, that um, have certain requirements. They have their own taxonomies or product categorization, which, which there are elements in that second wave, but that consensus doesn't maximize its efforts, right? And that structure, that taxonomy, product categorization is also based on business stuff, finance, merchandising, e-commerce, things the way that they perceive and how they position themselves in the marketplace. So I, as a consumer, I need to adhere to that. And another crazy thing in that second wave is I remember you you talked about the grocery, which it penetrated quite rapidly, right? The, you talk about the barcodes and we all do it now, but how do you get past that? You need more information, right? And if you look at some of that consensus, it can prohibit and stop that. Because if you get to the digital area, and you or I are trying to shop on our iPhone, we need some really valid information. We don't need codes. We need actual information to see a specific attribute like battery voltage amount or whatever. I can't click a button when I'm digitally and see something that's like NA or or something that I'm like, well, that didn't answer my question because that ruins the digital experience. That ruins the chance from browse to purchase. So the second we've ultimately has a lot of elements, but even the same people that have adopted it are having their brands top it off in another process because it doesn't have all of it that it needs.
0: Yeah. This is, uh, what's amazing about this conversation to me is, uh, and it happens every time that uh, I'm on a podcast with you, Chad, is that I feel like we only scratch the surface of a topic, and we're out of time. And so what we're gonna do with with this topic, we're gonna kick off the next episode with a, a quick recap of the second wave and get into the the challenges that a consensus-based approach has created in the supply chain, and why a third wave has now begun to take hold. So Chad, Really great hanging with you again, virtually, Um, and uh, thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you again on the next episode. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. To stay up to date with our latest podcast releases, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can also learn more about the podcast at RethinkingSupplyChain.com. Thanks for listening.